0: welcome to this week's tell me about the podcast this week we will be talking about managing customers and suppliers we hope you enjoy Dad, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, uh, hey Beth, yep, very well, thank you. And yourself just got back from a short vacation in Madeira, I gather.
0: Yep, got a little bit of a tan and a little bit of a rest. Yeah, it was really good, definitely gonna go back. Beautiful place, beautiful people. Did you try the
1: Madeira and wines? Yes, we
0: did. We went to uh, Blandy's, so we had the fortified wine. And then we also had some of the normal wines, but can't call them Madeira and wine. You can only call it a Madeira and wine if it's fortified.
1: Ah, but wines made from the same grapes as yeah. Madeira and wine is made from. Yeah. I think they are quite nice when you drink them in Madeira, but like so many of these more obscure grapes, if you bothered to bring it home, it might not be quite as attractive in your own back garden. But that's fine.
0: We used um, our wine suitcase And we bought back some of the fortified wines and we also bought back a couple of wines from the Juro Valley, um, which we had one last night with our Chinese, which went really well.
1: As you know, we have one of the fly-by-wine cases as well and and it goes with us pretty much every time we travel internationally now and often comes back full, very useful piece of kit.
0: Mm, Definitely. All right, what are you going to tell me about today, Dad? (sighs)
1: Well, I thought that we might uh, move on from the working on, working in topic that we covered last time. I think it's important to think about how, as a startup, business, you plan to manage both your suppliers and your customers. I'm going to assume for the moment that the startup business that our listeners have an interest in has both suppliers and customers. No doubt it would have customers. Difficult to imagine a business with no customers. (laughs) Sounds like perfection to my mind in some respects, but possibly not the right way to think. But suppliers, um, some companies will only have a few, some may have many. Managing customers and suppliers needs to be thought through carefully and some system and process is necessary to ensure, I think, that one of the basics in business relationships is achieved and that is a sense of smooth flow in the way that you as the entrepreneur, the startup, works with other people around you. If business relationships can glide along with low or no friction. Then you're going to save yourself considerable amounts of time and energy, which you can reserve for working in or working on your business in more important areas. It's too easy not to have a smooth flow of communication and relationship with your customers and suppliers, which quickly creates problems that you find yourself having to troubleshoot, and that's a distraction from what you really need to be spending your time on to move the business forward. I think there are some fundamentals in the way that you work with suppliers and customers, Those fundamentals are fairly obvious, but just to list them off, honesty, transparency, fairness, consistency. Adopting these virtues in the way that you communicate with and deal with your customers and your suppliers will pay dividends in significant quantities. The style of communication, I think, is important as well. You don't want to spend time communicating uniquely in each individual situation with your customers and your suppliers, many of the messages that you will need to give to them and responses you will need to issue to their questions or comments can be standardised. But I do recommend that you seek to customise those standardised texts to a certain degree. Recognise any preferences which your customers or suppliers have indicated to you. Tell them that you are making it special for them so that they understand that. And if you're dealing with a reply, I think that should be largely customised, not standardised, as it will mean so much more and likely deal with the issue in one round of communication. It's important that we know the power of the phone. It's too easy in this day and age to think that the digital written word is the only method of communication power of the phone can't be underestimated. Pick the thing up and speak to people and not only will issues be resolved quickly, information relayed more clearly, but the relationship continues to build through conversations. And the power of in-person finally, again something which with distributed resources, working from home, virtual businesses The opportunity to work in person with customers and suppliers becomes more limited, but I think that the wise entrepreneur in their startup situation will want to build those relationships face-to-face, meet the individuals, maybe not frequently, but from time to time, learn about people. Make notes about people in a simple database or on your telephone. Um, Know how many kids they've got, what team they support, where they live, where they went on holiday. Any snippets of information that you can get will help you to start conversations away from business and then quickly come back to business all feeding that smooth flow of exchange between your customers, your suppliers and yourself to save time and ensure quality relationships.
0: One of the new things that's getting very popular at the moment is um, using AI to standardise those replies.
1: Yes, um, I'm on the fence regarding um, AI as we know it at the moment. In business, um, I th- I think that AI has a great role to play in first drafts, in fast first drafts. So, for example, in two of the businesses that I remain involved in, we now have Open AI's Chat GPT generating first drafts of blog posts for our marketing teams in each company. Those. Marketing teams are under strict instruction that they cannot use the output of the AI system. They have to edit it, they have to think about the relevance of it and they have to scan it for its inconsistencies and inaccuracies because, believe you me, even in the simple businesses I'm involved in, these things are not 100% accurate. And I think, therefore, it can be used for first drafts of suggested texts that are standardised but I wouldn't use it for anything else other than that at the moment. One of the important features of your relationships with your customers and your suppliers is consistency of your approach to them, how you treat them, the individuals you deal with. As we said just a moment ago, keeping records of your interaction but also records about the people. This consistency of your approach Your behavior, your attitude, the language you choose, the time that you give them. These are all the things which build your reputation as a good person to supply to, as a good person to buy from. Reputation is everything. It's being pushed to the background again now by the digital world we live in. Reputation these days might easily be by the number of yellow stars Amazon gives you or by the Google reviews you receive. But nevertheless, setting that aside, for those people that you will repeat spend with and repeat buy from, your reputation will come out of you as a person, out of your character and out of your behaviours. And the more consistent they are, the stronger your reputation will be.
0: It's one of the things that I struggle with on Etsy is getting people to actually leave a review. And I'm I'm not great at leaving reviews either, but when it comes to those kind of smaller boutique sellers, I always leave a review. I don't leave a review on Amazon as much. But um the small businesses I try to. But yeah, so I always if I get an order I'll in my note to say it's been dispatched, I say, as soon as you receive it, let me know. And even in the packaging, I'll leave a little note to say, leave a review, like constantly reminding them. But it gets to a point where you're like, they're not going to leave a review. So <laughs> it's a difficult.
1: In our um, American business, we incentivize people to leave reviews. There, it's simply a um, a, a Starbucks voucher. If they leave us a review, we'll give them a Starbucks voucher. Now, a a $10 Starbucks voucher is easy to provide to somebody who's just spent $2,500 with you. It's an overhead that is easy to consume for the number of times that you find yourself being taken up on the commitment. I guess if you're selling at a much lower price on Etsy, the net profit doesn't allow much manoeuvre for you to incentivize a review. Yeah. I think you've told me in the past that there are opportunities to issue discount vouchers for future purchases with you. And I think that's a great way, therefore, of incentivizing somebody to leave a review, but also to lock them in as a potential repeat spend customer for the future. You'll need to think carefully about the economics of it again, but I think that's a great way of there being no cash put down There's an obligation that is only to be met if another purchase is made from you, but there is something tangible in it for the person that you're asking to leave the review.
0: Yeah, a good incentive. Yeah, it's a good way of doing it.
1: But nevertheless, if there is an opportunity to actually speak to those people on the telephone, then that's where that reputation can additionally be built, as well as trying to create that loyalty through discount structures um, and by demonstrating your reputation through online scoring systems. Mm-hmm. I think finally, in, in terms of the basics in, in business relationships, it is actually the construction of those relationships and their continuous development. You need to work out both within your customers and your suppliers who decision makers are, who gatekeepers are. Decision makers are important people, you need to understand what they can make decisions on, financial limits of their decisions, the point at which they need to defer to somebody else, or the point at which they might delegate decisions to somebody else. How do you get to speak to them? Gatekeepers are important as well, people who will prevent you from speaking to the right people. You need to build relationships with them so that they can become your channel to the people you want to speak to rather than just a barrier. So, ensuring a smooth flow in your relationships based upon some fundamentals of honesty, transparency, etc. Utilising good standards of communication, being consistent and looking all the time to continuously develop your relationships are the basics of dealing with people of all types within business, but specifically your suppliers and your customers. Let's look then at suppliers and customers individually uh, and, and talk a little bit about some of the unique aspects of managing these groups. I think in terms of suppliers to your small business, to your startup, they're probably going to fall into two primary categories First is those suppliers who are giving you product or service that is essential to what you sell. These are suppliers who are going to appear as direct costs on your profit and loss account. For example, they might be the suppliers of stock which you hold to resell. They might be suppliers of products or services that you're going to add value to to achieve a sale. For example, if your startup is a small builder, then the person that supplies you with bricks and plasterboard, paint and cement, those are direct costs which you're only going to incur if you've got a project to deliver, but you're probably going to buy those goods from the same supplier for each and every project. The second type of supplier of products or services to your business is going to fit within the general description of overheads. These are the things you need to buy from other people that enable you to do your business. These will sit as overheads on your profit and loss account. For example, this might be the rent you pay your landlord, the costs you pay to your electricity supplier, the premiums you pay for your insurance these are suppliers where again good communication good relationships can be of great assistance to you even if you are paying these fees and costs on a monthly fixed standing order or annual payment or whatever it might be nevertheless A relationship with those individuals can ensure that if problems arise, they will be easily dealt with and that you are achieving the best for your business in your relationship with them. For example, with a fixed standard payment, you may negotiate with that supplier to determine what day of the month your payment is to go out rather than accepting what they dictate to you. By changing around the timing of standard payments, you can provide great assistance to your cash flow. Whether the supplier is providing goods or services as a direct cost to support your sales, or as an overhead in your business to enable you to run the company in the first place, I think there are various things that we need to think about in terms of the choice of our suppliers. Having said all that I've said about the importance of building a relationship with your supplier, I think it is important and, frankly, incumbent upon the entrepreneur, the new startup, to continually think about reducing the costs within your business. And a great way of doing that is to make sure that you are regularly price checking the service or goods which you are buying. What the Americans would call shop the supply. There are aspects of the service that you need to be looking at. Is the timing of the response of a supplier good enough for you or do you need quicker or more reliable responsiveness? Are the basic costs of the goods or service competitive within the market? They may not be the cheapest, but you need to be sure that they're competitive and favourable for your business. Are there discounts that you might be able to negotiate for volume? Or does your supplier provide end-of-line stock clearance items that might be just as suitable for your business than the most recent release which has got a premium price to it? Think about the payment terms which you can agree with each of your suppliers and switch if you can get better payment terms for a consistent quality of product. Ideally, you want your payment terms with your suppliers to be slightly longer than your collection terms with your customers a fundamental of bringing forward cash flow, which I think we've touched on in a previous episode, Beth. Look closely at the quality of the product or service which you're currently being supplied and check in the market whether there's any improvements that could be obtained elsewhere. You're looking for innovation in product development. You're looking for suppliers who will be talking to you about new things they can see coming down the line towards them that may, have be, may be of assistance in improving and developing your own business. That's a great supplier relationship, which is all too often lost these days because of the remote and digital nature of placing orders and having order fulfillment. Reliability. How many times does a product particularly fail when it's been delivered? Are there standards within your contract with your supplier about the frequency of failures, i.e. the reliability standards that are contracted between the two of you? Can you get better than that if you go around the market to see what else is out there? And customer service. If you're buying products or services which can in and of themselves require post-sales support, what is that support that's being offered to you? Is it adequate? Is there somebody that can provide better support to you that means your support to your customers is improved as a result? These are all aspects of a supply contract for goods or services which I think the entrepreneur needs to be concerned about from time to time. It's about making Positive time in the diary, maybe a couple of hours on the last Friday of every month, to reflect upon all of your suppliers and what's going right and what's going wrong. By doing it proactively like that, this fits very comfortably into the heading of working on your business. Essential time taken to make sure that you're not spending any more money than you need and that the money you are spending is being spent on the best products or services which your company can obtain for its purposes. Changing a supplier for good reasons is as good as winning a new customer. Let's talk a little bit about the specifics of the relationship between you and your customers and how you can manage that to be the best that it can be. I think here we're, we're looking of course to support the case for building a client base, a customer base for your business which is willing to continue to buy from you, willing to refer you to others and sees that what you've supplied them with is good value for money and has solved a problem for them personally or in their business. There are many other aspects than simply how you manage your relationship with your customers to achieve those ends, but let's just look at some of the specifics which are under your day-to-day control and which need some time spent on them. Most businesses will have some form of terms and conditions or contract between them and their customers for the supply of the goods or services which they are selling. It's important that those contract terms be as fair as possible. So in that regard, I strongly recommend that, again, not boilerplate contract terms downloaded from the internet or generated by AI. Please don't use those do spend a little bit of money with a solicitor talking about what your products and services are and what the protections needed for your company and for your customer are that should be built in those. No need to spend lots of money on this but I think it is money spent wisely up front to give you that document which will be enforceable and fair between you and your customers. If you need to enforce contract compliance on your customers, do it politely. Make sure that you're anticipating where the failure points might arise and advise customers that their actions or behaviours could be contrary to the terms and conditions of the supply of the goods or services you've sold to them. Headed off at the past, don't let it become a big issue. This is what we were talking about in terms of smooth flow, time spent anticipating issues from clients and gently reminding them of what is required of them to comply with contracts, whether that's payment terms, returns, usage, copying, IPR, any of these risks which we all have in selling goods and services to other people. Time spent anticipating and then managing those situations is good working on time and avoids the bigger problems that consume time reactively. Payment terms is perhaps one of the most important features of the terms and conditions or contract between you and your customers. As we've said on so many times, bringing forward cash flow is so important to your business. It is the lifeblood of everything you do finding ways in which you can ensure there's always sufficient cash in the bank to cover your overheads and your direct costs, and that there's always a little bit left over from every deal so that you can build up cash balances that you can use to reinvest in your business, reward yourself, keep for rainy days, whatever those purposes are. This all comes down to your payment terms between you and your customers and how you enforce those. As I mentioned when we were talking about suppliers, in an ideal world, payment terms between you and your customers will require them to pay you faster than you are required to pay your suppliers. Can you structure your payment terms such that there are advances, deposits, stage payments? Are there deals that you can introduce for early payment that might be published or that could be confidential, reaching out to your largest customer's and offering them confidential arrangements between the two of you for faster payment terms. For example, if it's suitable to your business and you need to think very carefully about the financial implications, do the modelling, make sure that you're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. But is it possible to offer a 1% discount for payment in 10 days, where currently their requirement is to pay you in 30 days? Or is it worth... 2.5% if they pay you in advance rather than in arrears. Percentages given are just examples and it's not intended to give a lot away. It's just enough to make a difference to their bottom line and to your bottom line. Just move the cash as quickly as you possibly can between your customers and yourself.
0: Our wedding photographer had that. If we paid everything up front, then we would get a, a free canvas print from the day which we didn't do but <laughs> yeah, well, yeah she had that incentive to get the money in earlier
1: yep that's great yeah i i think that in this situation nothing speaks louder than than the customer saving money rather than being entitled to more than they have bought from you yeah saving cash speaks loud and clear to the mutual benefits of bringing forward payment terms. Mm-hmm. However, you will always have customers who will take every day of credit terms that you've given to them. And here we're talking, of course, about businesses largely providing services which tend to be paid for in arrears, in part or whole, or where there are stage payments such as a building company would uh, structure. If you're retail, of course, you're paid at the point of sale and in many cases you will be required to pay directly upon the purchase of a service. If you have a private dentist, you'll have to pay before you leave the surgery, etc. But where you do issue invoices for payment at some later date, they have defined credit terms on them, it's important that you reinforce those collection processes. The easiest reputation to get in business is a soft touch for collections. If you don't push for collections within your contract terms, most of your customers will just assume that they can always take the upper hand in deciding when they're going to pay you, rather than knowing the consequences of not paying you within the contract terms. That reputation is easy to get, and very hard to lose, so never allow yourself to be thought of as a soft touch for payment. If you have, let's say, 20 days payment terms on your invoice, first of all, be very clear. Is that 20 calendar days or is that 20 business days? Specify. Don't leave it to others to assume one way or the other. Remove the opportunity for misunderstanding. Don't wait until the day of or the day after the due date for each invoice. Send statements, send reminders, polite, clear, advisory notes that indicate how much time they've got left to make their payment. Be proactive. In each of my businesses, when I was working in them, I would always be checking through my outstanding invoices, probably every other day, a quick 10 or 15 minutes, running my finger down the list, seeing if there's anybody there that I think is a greater risk, that needs any specific treatment, seeing who's coming up close to the hard limits of their credit terms and instructing where I want people to be chased, picking up the phone to speak to individuals that I know and just check that everything's okay and that the payment will be received on time. Nobody's going to get annoyed with you doing these things. If you do them in the right way, see above. The nature of your communication, the consistency of the way you talk to people, using those fundamentals, will always get you dividends when speaking to people about their paying you for the services or products which you have supplied. Be clear on what happens if somebody doesn't pay you within the contractual terms, and be ready to reinforce. Think about having a customer that you feel is your best customer. They account for 20% of your revenues, let's say. They're placing orders with you several times a month. You look forward to their emails arriving with their next request of you. They paid you on time for a while, but have started to let the payment terms creep out a little bit. The payment terms are specific within the contract between the two of you. If they're not paying you, are they now a good customer? I would argue no. I would argue that the fact that they stop paying you within your credit terms means that they're becoming a bad customer, a bad risk, a bad debt potential. And that needs to be managed because what you don't want to do is to find yourself with them growing to be 25 or 30% of the revenues of your business and now stretching you out twice the credit terms that you have provided for. I guarantee you that if you put that into a simple spreadsheet, you'll show that you'll run out of cash very quickly, because your suppliers won't be cutting you that kind of slack, and they will be demanding their payments within their contractual terms. And of course, their ultimate lever on you, if you don't pay them on time, is that they'll not send you any more product or service when you request it from them. Suddenly you starve your business not only of cash, but of the essential underlying products or services it needs to make its sales in the first place. All this is easily avoided if you reinforce your payment terms and never be a soft touch for cash collection. Can you be that hard-nosed in every situation? I'd like to think you can. Certainly I would recommend it be the start point for every consideration of somebody who is taking longer to pay you than the terms which you've agreed with them. But there could be, from time to time, cause for you to negotiate with those people rather than just enforce whatever your penalties for non-payment might be. You could agree upon a set of stage payments for a debt. You could agree that nothing else will be supplied until a certain degree of debt is reduced. Or you could agree an interest rate applicable to the amount of money. So, for example, you might agree to let them go out another 10 or 20 days before they pay you, but you want 2% additional on top of the invoice face value for your cost of money in providing that. Essentially, when you provide that extension to credit terms, you're being banker to your customers. You don't want to be a banker to your customers, rest assured. That, again, is the beginning of the end when you play that game. If your business is supplying some products or any kind of service, there is going to be time when your customers will require some variation on a standard supply from you. Those variations may be that they want it quicker, they want it cheaper, or they want something different in terms of quality. You need to step back from the supply and rearrange the contract terms and make sure you have agreed in writing what those variations on your normal supply, what the normal profile of time, cost and quality would have looked like and how one or more of those components is agreed to be changed between you and each individual customer. Clearly, if you're providing a service, let's class them as professional services and indeed such as the interior design work that you do, Beth, then each and every customer will require some kind of letter confirming what you understand to be their instructions to you as those will vary from one to the other. There's room for some standardisation, as we spoke about earlier on in your communication there. Everybody probably wants to go through a design phase with you. Everybody probably wants a specification from you. Some people may want you to supervise on site. Others may want you to design bespoke furniture, whatever it might be. There's room in there for standardised paragraphs which can then be brought together in a customized format to give a highly personal account back to the customer of what it is that they're asking you to provide and that becomes if you will the specification of services. If they then come back and they require variations on that it's imperative that the Entrepreneur, take the time to stand back and say, what did that request do to the relationship as it is confirmed between me and my customer? How do I need to reconfirm that relationship in light of these changes? That's vital working on that project before you go back to working in it. Don't be all consumed by the customer's requests and go straight back to the drawing board or rip up the mood board or whatever it might have been. Take the time to first of all think about what did that do to the nature and specifics of the contract between you and your customer. I spoke a little while ago about the idea of a customer that doesn't pay you is not a good customer. I stand by that, always have done, always will do. It is within the entrepreneur's gift especially at the startup stage, to select the people or businesses with whom it wishes to do business. There is a unfounded perception that any customer is a good customer at the startup phase and as many customers as one can get is great. I'd like to challenge that as much as I can imagine and I have seen the desperate anticipation of an entrepreneur at the point of starting up their business for the till to ring, for customers to come to them and buy their products or services. That desperation has to be set to one side and good business common sense adopted. If it's possible, look at each new customer that you've no experience of and try and make an assessment of who they are, what they represent, If you can, try and find something about them. Many people, especially if you're Beth, can instantly check out people's credentials on social media, internet searches, etc. See if you can find anything that might give you cause for concern about them being a good customer. A good customer, as we've said, one who wants to buy from you, appreciates what it is you're selling, enjoys working with you, and pays you on time. If you can estimate new customers' potentials to fit your specification of a good customer, then that, by its very nature, gives you the opportunity to be cautious about certain people or businesses that want to buy from you. And when you get that sense of the need for caution, then make a decision. Whether you wish to do business with them or not, what's the cost of saying, no, I don't want to do business with you? Or look to vary your standard terms to give you some protections. If you've come across somebody who wants to buy from you, who you have been able to establish has a reputation for being quite troublesome, then perhaps you're only going to work for them if they pay you up front. Perhaps you're only going to work for them if they pay you 50% up front. Something may change that gives you a protection against a potential bad customer But I keep coming back to the idea that it's within your gift as the entrepreneur at the startup phase to set aside the desire to sell to everybody and to choose who you do business with and say no to certain people. I understand that in this day and age, if somebody places an order with your company online and you go back to them and say you're sorry you can't fulfill that order, you're at risk of a negative Google review or something like that. I get that, but nevertheless, it's your business and the long-term reputation is what you're trying to build up. And short-term interrupts like that are not going to be of concern to you. We need to move away from this sense of the power of the digital review and get back to building reputations between suppliers and customers. (music)
0: Thank you for listening to our second episode in this season, uh, all about managing customers and suppliers. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us next week where we'll be talking about management and leadership within your startup. As always, keep an eye on our Instagram at Tell Me About Pod and our website, tellmeaboutpod.com for updates from us. And please follow, like, and review to help others find us too.